Byron, Mississippi. It's Lakeshore Church. Uh, sermon titled, Does Jesus Have a Pecking Order? What in the world does that mean? So we'll, we'll find out together, all right? Verse number 13 through 16, and then we'll pray, and you can be seated. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. Um, you know my heart. I desire for this time to be about you, not me, not the staff, not Lakeshore Church, but for people to come face to face with you. And God, I pray that my words would be yours, my thoughts would be yours, and most of all, every one of us, beginning with me, would walk in obedience to what we hear, and God will be careful to give you the praise and the glory as you direct, for we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> oh, this, I, I don't know. The, the, the first service didn't receive this too well. I don't know. But I just want to ask you a couple of things. Do you remember, <clears throat> just had this experience last night. Do you remember when children were supposed to be seen and not heard? Do y'all remember that? Some kids and teenagers in here don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Do you remember when children ate after the parents? Any of y'all ever had that? It got a lot fewer then. I remember it as a boy. I remember waiting out on the porch like in a family would gather together and I'm wondering what's going on and I wonder if they're going to leave any chicken for the future preacher. <laughs> I don't think I ever put the future preacher part in there. It's amazing how much things have changed. Last night we had a big family gathering with the in-laws and outlaws and uh, by the time the prayer was prayed and things, there were, there were children less than half, three times younger than me. I mean, little bitty kids going up and serving their plate. What happened to our culture? They were getting the good stuff too. This had to be strange. Let me tell you why I think it was strange for them. Here's the disciples here in Jesus. He already talked a lot about the kingdom. We've probably shared five sermons that he talked about the kingdom of God in his conversation, in his strange but strong words. Here he is, and he says to them, don't stop that child from coming to me because this is the kingdom. <laughs> I got to believe those disciples. And just to frame it for you, I believe what they thought, the most, most thought, was he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. When they heard kingdom, all they knew was the Romans and all they knew was that kind of structure. And so they thought he's going to set up, I think Judas is up. I, I don't give Judas a pass. He went to the wrong person for forgiveness in my opinion. But, but Judas, what I think in his mind, he, was gonna, he, he loved the purse. He loved the money. And uh, I think he thought he was going to be secretary of the treasury. I think John and James' mom came and asked him, Who's, we want, I, want my, I want my boys, when you set up your kingdom, I want one of them on the right and one of them on the left. So she was mixed up, and surely they were. It had been a conversation, I'm sure. So here Jesus comes along and says, uh, my kingdom's going to be like the, the kids. Kids are going to be part of this kingdom. And they're going, what now? They're going to be, on your, they're going to be your cabinet? We're going to have little kids running around in places of authority? So it's really confusing. You and I have 2,000 years to look back on, but, but here's where we are. I truly believe. <laughs> Had to be strange. I've been fascinated. You know that. I love sayings. I love words. I love word study. 
especially sayings, where they came from. And, and I came up with this crazy sermon title, Does Jesus Have a Pecking Order? I started thinking about pecking order. I've heard all of my life about there's a pecking order or something. What in the world does that mean? And I did a little research. You can find it really quickly if you have the internet. Don't do it right now. But a Norwegian zoologist a hundred years ago researched and he found he's researching and he's looking and studying chickens. And that's where it came from. He realized that if you put a bunch of chickens out there, one of them's going to be the dominant chicken. And their best weapon that they have is their bait, their beak. So they peck on each other. And then he noticed that there's a there's a, a boss hen. I'm not I'm gonna leave roosters out if you women don't mind, okay? That there will be a boss hen, and then there's gonna be the second in command. And then she picks on all the other ones, pecks on them, but she doesn't peck on the first one. Are you following me? And that's how he came up. He's the one that came up with, I would have told you his name, but I couldn't pronounce it, all right? So he's just a Norwegian zoologist. But anyway, he, he, he's the one that figured out, he came up with this thing of pecking order, and it's been passed down through cultures. Now, we know it in humanity. We know it in social settings that somebody's number one, two, three, four, and, and there's a pecking order, right, wrong, or indifferent. <laughs> when I think about that, I, I want to pose a question to you. Does Jesus have a pecking order? We know there were 12 disciples, and we know he spent more time with three than he did the other nine. And we know his best buddy was John. And so we know in that, someone said, well, maybe he did. <laughs> many, I've seen many situations in church. It's going to hurt a little bit. A couple of things I say in the sermon hurt a little bit. But I'm just thinking about these other folks in here, not you, okay? Many times in church, there's been damage done because of a pecking order. I remember one time in a choir years ago, there were people that knew how to sing, and there was a couple of people that weren't really versed in it too well. I can carry a note. I know the difference between being flat and not flat. I know the difference between singing and making a joyful noise. But I've seen people in the choir, forgive me, I've already took it up with Brother Robert. He's okay with it. He was here in the first service. That I've seen people hurt other people's feelings because they didn't sing as well as they thought they should. And without even knowing it, they were doing a little pecking on them. I know people that have gotten in hurt in church because they didn't look like somebody else or act like somebody else. And, and maybe we said the wrong thing. We represented ourselves in the wrong way. I hope you hear today that I'm five steps above you, but I'm not better than you. All I'm doing is I'm part of the body that God called me to do my part. And God has a part for you. Does Jesus have a pecking order? No. You're going to see some neat things in a minute that maybe confuse you, but, but hold on. Je Jesus handles this so well. He deals with this so well in this story. He does. Because in their culture, children were almost like women in a way. They were just supposed to be seen and not heard. They're not supposed to be a part. They'll have their day, and, and they were pushed aside. And here Jesus brings them into equality with all the men and everyone else there. So does Jesus have a pecking order? I want to share with you some things that are just things that stick out to me and about this story and this encounter that something what tells, what, what, uh, what this tells us. And it's simple stuff. Some of you've heard me share before, but it needs to be shared again and again. The first one is this. What this tells me when I see this story is the ground, it reminds me that the ground at the cross is level. The ground at the cross is level. Jesus did not come for a hierarchy. He did not come for a select few that were the higher echelon of people. No, he came for all. He didn't come even for hereditary. He didn't come for family lineage. He didn't come for people that he was kin to. What's so neat about us today, and you'll see a passage of Scripture, and if you go further and study, you will see it, I should say, is that when Jesus came, it's been opened up to all of us. 
The scripture says Paul wrote it, for there's a period of blindness for the chosen of God, the Jews. There's a period of blindness so that all of us as Gentiles can have the hope and the opportunity to come to know Christ. So he didn't come for some, he came for all. And it was not just about family. It wasn't even like Mary when it was told to her by the angel that you've been highly favored of God. Mary wasn't a favorite, she was highly favored. It was her place in the kingdom work for her to carry the Christ child, for her to carry Jesus as a human being without conception, for her to bring her. She was conceived, but hadn't been with a man. So what I tell you is this, why, who did he come for? He came for the have-nots, and every one of us are have-nots. Every one of us had no hope of redemption if Jesus didn't provide a way for us. So all of us are in the same thing. Listen to this way. Jesus was born for all, not some. Now, this will be one of those things. And if you go back, probably some of you, probably from where you've been brought in your doctrine and theology, this might confuse you. But listen to me very carefully. There is a lot of religion. There's even denominations. There's a lot of doctrine that's out there that will tell you, because we struggle with the whole infancy of God, that God's infinite and we're finite. There have been doctrines that have been created by man that tell us that God didn't die for all. He died for some. You need to understand this. Jesus didn't open up the way for some of us. He opened up the way for all of us. And the ones that know him are the ones that have taken him at his offer. And I can get, I can get real tough on this because it's very damaging. You need to realize in doctrine and theology, you need to take it all the way out. Sometimes we hear doctrines and say, well, that makes a little sense. But yet when you apply it to everything, it doesn't. I'm not sitting here preaching to a few that need to be redeemed. We all need redemption. <laughs> and the only difference between us and this room is whether we've been redeemed or not. Not whether we can be. Okay, I got to move on. So he's born for all, not some. He lived for all, not some. He lived his life to show us how to live. And that's a great part of this story as well. He died for all. He didn't die for some. Okay, and let me tell you this. He's coming back for all. But he's coming back for all the ones that have trusted him and taken him at his offer. And there's danger in every one of those that's going on today in theology. Christmas reminds us he didn't come for some, but he came for all. Secondly, not only is the ground at the cross level, but I hope you love me after this next one, especially if you're a grown-up or you think you are. But grown-ups can mess it up. Do you hear me? They really can't. Grown-ups can mess it up. It's amazing, the smarter we get, oh, this is going to hurt. I'm, I'm going to get me in trouble. It's on Facebook too, isn't it? I see the camera. It's amazing sometimes the older we get, the dumber we get. It's like we just can't take it by faith that it happened. Let me tell you a great example. Somebody passes away, grandma passes away, little child. I've had parents. I've had parents say, listen, could you talk to my, my child? They're really struggling. Oh, sure. We sit down. Hey, what's going on? And I found out the one struggling wasn't the child. The one struggling is the parent. The child, you say, hey, grandma took her last breath here and she took her first breath in heaven and she's with Jesus, going to be there forever. How about that? Well, that sounds great. Go back to mom and dad. We'll say, well, how'd she get there? Are you sure she was saved? And we start, the older we get, we start analyzing things more instead of by faith just believing it. And then what happens in the Christmas season, this comes in, out too, we start substituting other things in there that make it more confusing than it should be. Grown-ups can mess it up. Listen, I wrote this down this way, and it reminds me of where we're going as a church. We'll share more about that in January. We should, al we should always invest and prioritize the next generation. Uh, I think it, was, it just came to mind. Ronald Reagan said uh, a society is only one generation from extinction. <laughs> 
you, you got to have the next one that follows this one or you don't have much coming. Do you follow me? And today we got to invest in the nursery. We got to invest in children's ministry. We got to invest in that staff that does that and do it well because they're the ones that are going to sit where you sit in a few years. Amen. And they're going to lead and they're going to teach and they're going to give. And so they got to be healthy in that regard. We as the older generation can and we have messed it up in the past. And I could tell you some horror stories. Not about Lakeshore Church. I'm talking about, and there'd be more stories that I've heard about than I have in, and, and, that I've been involved in in church work. But I can tell you some horror stories that I know about where the grown-ups messed it up. Where there needed to be a vision, there needed to be tomorrow, we need to be planning, we need to be visionary. And all of a sudden we get nervous and we just want to stay like we are. And all of a sudden if you don't go anywhere, you're not going to get there anytime soon. It's really neat. Can't do it. Uh, church, I could tell you some of them come to mind that today are, are dead or dormant. Some might still be having church, but they're dead today. They're dormant. Because their day of visitation, God showed up and they didn't operate in it. And I don't want that, nor do I think you want that for Lakeshore Church. I'll show you a picture that I found. It's pretty neat. Uh, might hurt a little bit. There's a pecking order in the hen house, but there shouldn't be one in God's house. As I transition to the next one, I just want to remind you of this. Yes, I sit above, but I already alluded to it one time. All I'm doing today is fulfilling what God's called me to do. It's not an ego. We're in this thing together. I'm going to show you a scripture that just is, is powerful for this point in just a minute. It's so true. But uh, we do need to. Uh, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus said the kingdom is like a child. Boy, I could spend a lot of time. When you think about just a child, what, what, just a smile. And, and it doesn't say how young. I, I tend to think it was a really young child. I think it was very confusing for the, uh, the disciples. The, not just the children coming to them, but the passage I will show you. It was very confusing to them. What? The kingdom's going to be a five-year-old? I can remember all of my children, you know, um, they would run down the island when we had one and jump into my arms. They would jump off things in my arms. Uh, you know why they did? Because I never dropped them. God expects that same kind of trust and innocence from you and me. And I've got great news for you. God will never drop you. Amen? Just know that. All right. Listen. Christmas again is a great reminder. Thirdly, what this tells us is growth is expected. Now, it sounds like I'm going to undo myself here, but I'm not. Okay, the ground at the cross is level. Let me show you where we're different. You ready? You don't have the same giftedness in Jesus Christ that I have, nor do I have yours. That is not to be looked at like we're superior. It's not to be looked at like I'm up here and there's a pecking order and you're below me. No, we all have our different giftedness in the body of Christ. And I want to show it to you today. And there's a lot more that I could in this passage, but time frame, I thought it'd take too long. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul did some phenomenal writing for the New Testament church. In verses 12 and 13, it says this, For just as the body is one and has many parts, just like we are, we have many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. You and I make up the body of Christ. You might have wondered, how do they come up with that terminology? Here it is, okay? Verse number 13, For we are all baptized by one spirit in one body, where the Jews are Greeks, where the slaves are free, and we are all given one spirit, to drink, okay? Now, there's some other verse in there. It talks about eat parts of the body and, and all that. I, I moved to verse number 20, and I, I want to read several verses. Watch this. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You understand that? We're all parts, but we make up one body. I have my part of the body to play. You have yours. Watch this. It keeps on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head, it can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Hmm. 
Watch it. Let me give you one more. It works better. One more. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect. I know there's people on the sound of my voice that wonder, man, where do I fit? I can't do what Brother Jay's doing. I can't do what the staff does. I can't do what my salt and light leader does. I can't teach like that. I can't, I can't play and lead worship the way Daniel does and the worship team, the different ones he uses, all the musicians on the stage, Miss Sheila, the way she tears up a piano. I can't do that. So I'm a nobody in the body. The Paul comes along and says, wait a second. The parts of the body that aren't seen, that are less honorable, look like they're not needed. They're more needed. Because they make up the totality of the body. Tell you a great story. This guy's in heaven. I can't wait to see him again. But uh, his first name's Walter. Led him to the Lord. Some other people involved in his life. I got the opportunity to kneel at an altar just like it's in the prayer room like we have and see him accept Christ as Savior. He passed away a couple of years later. Uh, but in the meeting, before he came to know the Lord, and I used to give him a hard time about this, and he tried to whoop me. He was big enough too to whoop me, and I was scared of him, to be quite honest with you. He was working with a table saw on a Sunday morning. My thought, I always told him as a pastor, if you'd been at church and not at this cable saw, you'd still have your thumb. You know where this is going. He was, he was, he was sawing, he was running wood through a saw, and one time he ran it, and his thumb went through the saw blade. Literally, not just out here a little bit, it was down here. He literally, his whole thumb was gone. And uh, I used to do this to him, and you can remember why he would chase me and try to hurt me, but I would see him out somewhere, and I'd go, how you doing, Walter? <laughs> He was a trip. He was a great guy. And I'm going to see him again and all that hope that we have. But uh, it was so neat. The, the point I'll make you the crazy story, I can tell you a bunch more about him. He said he had to learn how to do everything. He didn't realize how much stuff that you do that requires your thumb. And he went through a list. He, did heavy, he drove heavy equipment and he worked in that world and drove semi-trucks, big trucks. and all. He said, it's amazing how much you do with your thumb. He said, I had to learn how to do stuff all over. I had to learn how to do stuff with my opposite hand. Because of that, losing a thumb. You might think you're a thumb on the body of Christ. You're not the head. You're never seen. You're insignificant. It's really not that big a deal. Walter found out how significant, this is the point, how significant a weaker part of the entire body, a little insignificant part of the body, how essential it is to the entire body being whole. Hope you're following this. I would wish I could come right to you in a nice, tactful, loving, respectful, spiritual way and tell you, you are needed in the body of Christ. Don't ever sell yourself short. God gifted you in the way that he did if you know Christ for you to be that part that makes up the body. And if you're not, somebody else has to. You follow me? Growth is expected. We're all different in our giftedness, but together we grow to be the body of of Christ. Let's finish it, guys. Verse 24. Thank y'all for keeping it up there. Which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. This is a verse you hear me say often. So if one member suffers, how many of us suffer? All the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. I don't know if you've been close enough to me lately, but I've messed up my middle finger of my left hand. Sometime back, I don't want to tell you the, the whole story. It's very embarrassing. But to say I have hurt the last few weeks is an understatement. Uh, what happened to me, I thought my finger was gone when it first happened. It hurt so bad. 
uh, continue. It's better, but uh, I'm concerned I've got a crooked finger, so it's, it's unique. But you know what I noticed about a hurt finger? The rest of the body makes up the difference. I'm left-handed and right-handed. I do several things left-handed, several things right-handed. But I noticed with this hurt finger that it affected my hand, my hand affected my arm, and it affected my entire body. You and I need to get this. Growth is expected that you and I, this is a great thing for 2024 too. You and I need to realize that if we know Jesus Christ, he has a place in his body for each one of us. And if one finger decides it's not going to do its part, then the whole body is affected. And we also need to remember that one of the parts of the body hurts, we all hurt. Because it needs to be such that if a part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. Not just in our mindsets, it's actually literal. Just like I've been telling you this. All right, so growth is. I I wrote it down this way. The health of the church is predicated on all, not one. All right. I saw something as we began to wind down. I saw something when I was studying this that I want to share with you. And it's a scripture I already alluded to a moment ago. But in Matthew chapter 18... This subject of children comes up again. It's really unique. In Mark 10 is the text I chose. Just just understanding. This same story in Mark 10 takes place in Matthew 19. So a chapter earlier than that, if you will. Don't say, we don't have time frame. Jesus has already had an issue with a child. And I want to show it to you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> he called a small child... And had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly I, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, sometimes, um, I don't know if it's Bible stories or the picture we have of Jesus. <laughs> Just in these two events right here, Jesus was indignant. Go look that word up if you'd like word study. He was indignant with the disciples. He chopped them out right there. Not letting children come to him. Now... Just a little earlier, he says it would be better. Here's the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah. He's saying it would be better for a person, a man, if he causes one of these children to fall away from me. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around him, his neck and him drowned in the sea than to hurt one of these little ones. <laughs> I think some people probably struggle with that in their theology and doctrine. Reminds me of what the writers that Paul wrote, that be angry and sin not. Here's the thing. When I think about this, it's something stuck out to me. And I, and I want to show it to you. In the text, in the NIV, there was a word that kept coming to mind. I said, it's somewhere. I love translations. I love the original language. Studied it some. I'm not a scholar. There are some people that I know that are. I didn't ever make it there. We'll never make it there. But I love even original language going back and trying to figure out what was, the, what was going on in this. In the NIV, and this is what this is, says people were bringing, this is the text, and I'm going somewhere, I get there. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Watch this now. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come into me. Watch this. And this is what stuck out. This was the word that kept sticking out. And do not hinder them. And then he goes on the rest of the text. Do not hinder them. 
I hope today you understand what I'm saying. That today, you and I have a responsibility to draw people to him and not push them away. In this case, it was a child. Do not hinder them. I hope you understand that. Now listen to me. I got to pick my words carefully, but you need to hear this from a pastor today like no other days. I, will, I hope you understand this, that don't choose, and I wrote it down three different ways for you to get it. Don't choose more fantasy than faith. Don't let the Christmas season come and we put more stock in fictional things than we do in a faith relationship with God Almighty. Don't be guilty. Forgive me. Don't, don't, don't choose Santa's lap over Jesus' lap. When I read this story, this is what comes to mind for me. Here Jesus got mad now, indignant, because they were keeping children from him. And you know what's going on in our world today? Is that we'll substitute a fictional character in his lap for Jesus' lap. Mm. Mm. Seeing so, you know, someone say, oh, Brother Jay. Well, look at it. Go home tonight. We got 24 more hours. Turn your TV on and see what you see more of. Mm. We're more worried about lighting up the world than we are the light of the world. And I'm not just sitting here trying to be different. It concerns me that people will understand today the season. They'll understand the days off, and they'll understand no school, and they'll understand all the eating and the presents and all the things going on. And yet sometimes we're divorced and avoid even the reason for the season. <laughs> I, listen, this is going to be great. Talking about word usage. There's no Christmas without Christ. Hmm. Give you one more. Don't choose a fictional omniscience. Over Jesus knowing. <laughs> hey, fell in the red. Fell in the red don't know what you've been doing. That's why I asked you. Hmm? Naughty or nice. But do you know who? Do you, let me tell you who already knows whether you've been naughty or nice. His name is Jesus Christ. There's many times in the New Testament you go reading this, and a lot of these stories that I preached, it said they, he knew what they were thinking. <laughs> and so he spoke to them, and that was the observation of the writer. Leads to a final question. I got to go. Some of y'all looking at me pretty hard today. Leads to a final question. Do your actions hinder anybody? What speaks volumes to me about this story is what did Jesus, what, what got him? What moved the heart of Jesus to words and to actions was someone was keeping someone else from him. Now, we've already established it was kids and adults and talked a lot about that. But this thought came to mind. Do my actions hmm, hinder another person from Christ? See, a lot of people say, well, Brother Jay, it doesn't, it don't matter. It doesn't, it, it, they'll get what they get. No, I don't believe it. I believe the reason God left us here is for us to impact other people. I wonder today, do people look at us, children especially, look at us and say there's nothing to it? I don't know if you know this, as an older group, you need to understand this. Children are pretty smart. <laughs> Amen? They are. You say, how do you know they are? Because if I have a phone problem, I give it to a small child and they figure it out for me. That's one reason I know. But children are smart enough to know what's legit. In my actions, in my life, my words, and what I'm doing and going, am, am, I, am I helping people to get to Christ or am I hindering them? Wow. 
Do I push them away to Christ, from Christ or to him? I've said this many times and I end here. My greatest fear. You know what my greatest fear is? And I'm done. You know what my greatest fear is? One day I'll stand in front of the Lord. I don't know if it's going to happen this way. We have sayings that say it's going to happen that way. But God would, will show me what could have happened in somebody else's life had I not hindered them. Talk about the hours spent on a sermon. It's because I don't want anybody to leave here with a misunderstanding of what it's all about. People who know Christ go to heaven. People who do not have a relationship with Christ do not. 